This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. I'm glad that you've joined in again. Today, I'll be talking about Melchizedek, and we'll take a look at when and how he's mentioned in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But before I get into that, I'd like to remind you, if you have any questions or comments, if you'd like to communicate anything to me at all, please feel free to send me an email at ancientpaths@cantrell.cc. Also, a reminder, if you like the music, the intro music, the theme music for this podcast, that comes from an album that I recorded quite a while ago called Sanctuary. That and another album called Invocation are available on Apple Music and Spotify and anywhere you get your music. If you're interested to hear more of that style of music of me playing, it is finger-style, open-tuned guitar, and I also play the hammered dulcimer. So, if that's interesting to you, go check it out. Well, let's get into this talk about Melchizedek. It's something I've been working on for quite a while. Uh, he's come to mind a few times. I did a study on Abram and his faith, Abraham, and Melchizedek came up then. And, you know, sometimes we come to parts of the Bible, sections of the scriptures that don't make sense to us. And just because we don't really have the background knowledge that's needed to have a deeper understanding of it, or we sort of breeze past as we read through the scripture, don't really take the time to look at it very specifically. And Melchizedek has been on that list. There's another one, Methuselah. And I want to do some studies on Barnabas and some of the other characters in the Bible. So I may have a series called What About? And this one is about Melchizedek. Like I said, sometimes we come to these parts of Scripture that just really don't make sense to us. And this is especially true the farther away we get from an agrarian society. People that get further away from the land and further away from planting and reaping and husbandry, taking care of animals, the further away we can be from understanding some of the things that are in Scripture. And, of course, the farther removed we are in time. So it just makes it harder for us to really have a deeper understanding of what's there. And, in particular, we can really feel disconnected from something in the Scripture if we don't know the Old Testament writings not only the personalities in the Old Testament writings and the stories, but the really serious teachings that are there as well. In the Hebrew writings, we see how Jehovah revealed himself at various times in various ways. And if we lack a clear understanding of the Old Covenant, that is the Mosaic Law, and how it relates to the New Covenant, then we may really be missing something very, very important. If you're interested... And actually, I suggest that you go back and listen to episodes 48 through 51. That's where I talk pretty extensively about the New Covenant. It's very, very important that we understand the New Covenant and how it relates to the Mosaic Law. And which of those covenants are the law for us New Testament believers? Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
That's what Paul wrote. And amen. Yes, all scripture is useful for teaching and training. And yet we have to understand that not all scripture applies under the new covenant. Not all scripture is a law or commandment to us under the new covenant. Uh, One example, which is pretty easy to think of, is God's people are no longer commanded to make animal sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, we can study the sacrificial system and we can understand the Mosaic law and what it meant at the time. And then we can use that knowledge to have a deeper understanding of the new covenant. So it's useful, very useful, but it doesn't necessarily apply. We must read the Old Testament writings through the lens of the New Testament. Everything is to be judged and discerned according to the new revelation, the new covenant, the New Testament writings. And this is especially true of Melchizedek. We first meet Melchizedek in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, we read an extended section that's related to the Old Testament person of Melchizedek. And who is he? Well, Melchizedek is a bit of a mystery because we don't really know his backstory. In the book of Genesis, he appears and then he very quickly disappears. Just for a few verses do we see him. In one sense, you could say he doesn't have a beginning and an end because we don't see the beginning or the end of his life. We don't know why he's where he is or how he got there or where he went later. Though later in the Bible, in the Old Testament, he is mentioned prophetically in the book of Psalms. And we'll look at each of these references in the Bible here in a minute. And finally, in the book of Hebrews, he's presented as an example of the new way, the new covenant. There's a pretty extensive discussion about Melchizedek and how he relates to the new covenant. Before we look at the scriptural references here, It's good for us to know that Melchizedek has been mentioned in literature for thousands of years outside of the Bible. And Melchizedek has always been an object of interest and honor in Torah commentaries and rabbinic writings. He's mentioned by the historians Josephus and Philo, and he's mentioned in the second book of Enoch. Extra-biblical sources that were circulating in the first century referred to Melchizedek. They assumed he was a real person and an eternal person. Uh, One story says that Melchizedek was taken to survive the flood by an angel, and he was taken to the Garden of Eden. When the New Testament was written, some of these sources called him a divine being. So I mention all of this just to say that when the book of Hebrews was written, people who read the book of Hebrews were thinking about Melchizedek. They were giving him honor. They saw him as a priest and a king of great importance. He was throughout the culture of the day. And of course, he's not throughout our culture now. But it's important to understand that the people who read the book of Hebrews, who heard it read to them, would have been quite familiar with the person of Melchizedek and these other ideas that were floating around in the culture then. Today, I just want to stay focused on what the scriptures say because there's been a lot of speculation over the years about Melchizedek, and I want us to be rooted in what the Bible says. So I'll read the Bible, and then I'll make some comments, and I hope I don't go too far off track, and I definitely want to avoid speculation. But before we look specifically at the scriptures, I want to talk about the priestly class. 
because Melchizedek is the first priest mentioned in the Bible. The scriptures say that he was the priest of the Most High God. And it's very important for us, especially modern people, to have a pretty good understanding of what priests are. And in the Old Testament, what priests did, what their role was. Priests, under the Mosaic Law, were mediators between the people and God. They administered sacrifices, and especially during important holidays all through the year, like Passover. And the priests were divided into 24 divisions. That's in First Chronicles chapter 24. And the priestly class ministered in both the temple and in the cities where they lived. And the priests specifically came from the tribe of Levi. They were the Levitical priests. And we must remember that there was only one temple, only one place to offer sacrifices to Jehovah. That was in Jerusalem. There was only one group of people, the Levites, who were allowed to minister in the temple and to make these sacrifices. And in addition to the priestly class, there was the high priest. And in the Bible, there's a distinction between the priests and the high priest. The priests ranged in their duties from taking care of sacrificial lambs or taking care of the temple. But the high priest had that great annual responsibility of serving as the mediator between the people and God. And he did that once a year on the Day of Atonement. Then the high priest would enter into the most sacred area of the temple, and the high priest would sprinkle the sacrifice for the people and for himself on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. As we'll see a bit later on, under the New Covenant, Jesus is our high priest, and we are a priesthood of believers under the New Covenant, and every one of us has the right to serve in that priestly role, to approach God, and to offer spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. So, with a little general understanding of priests and the priesthood, let's now look at the first priest that is mentioned in the scriptures, Melchizedek. He is mentioned in just three passages in the Bible, twice in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. And I've labeled these three passages, these three references, as the historic, the prophetic, and the covenantal. The first mention of Melchizedek is found in Genesis chapter 14. This is the historic reference. It's the telling of a story of what actually happened. This event, when Abram met Melchizedek, it occurred before God changed Abram's name to Abraham. In episode number 83 of the podcast, I discussed Abram and his faith, which was credited to him as righteousness. So if you want to do a deeper dive on Abram and his name changed to Abraham, go back and listen to episode 83. In Genesis chapter 13, we see that Abram and his nephew Lot had chosen to go in separate directions because the land could not support them if they stayed together. Lot pitches his tent near Sodom, and Abram settles in Canaan. And then four kings attacked five kings, the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, Zeboim, and Zoar. And these four kings, which included Kedorlaomer, the king of Elam, 
seized all of the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went away. So these four kings took everything from Sodom and Gomorrah, all the food and all their goods. And they also took Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living near Sodom. And a person escaped and came back and reported to Abram, the Hebrew, and this is the first time we see Abram mentioned as a Hebrew, a descendant of Eber. And so Abram heard that Lot had been taken captive, and he called 318 trained men that were born in his household. And Abram went off in pursuit, chasing after these kings. And during the night, Abram divided his men, and he attacked them, and he routed them. And Abram recovered all of the goods, and he brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. And after Abram returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings that were allied with him, here's where we come in to meeting Melchizedek. Abram returns from this battle, and the king of Sodom comes out to meet Abram in the valley of Shaveh, and that is the king's valley. This is in Genesis chapter 14, now in verse 18. So the king of Sodom had come out to meet him, and then in verse 18, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, quote, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand, End quote. And then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. So that's the first reference to Melchizedek, just a few verses. But what follows next is very important. The king of Sodom then said to Abram, Give me the people, and you keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, quote, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men that went with me. So, just to recap a little bit, Abram returns from this battle with all of these goods and all these people, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, comes out and blesses him and brings him food. And the king of Sodom says, you can give me the people, but you can keep all the rest. And Abram says, nope, I will not take anything from you. Well, what can we take from this story? Just very quickly, let's take a look at Abram. First of all, the thing that strikes me is Abram's a fighter. He led warriors out to save his family. And Abram is just. He brings justice to an unjust situation. Also, when we look at Abram, we see that he gave Melchizedek a tithe of all the items that he'd recovered at 10%. And by this, I believe Abram shows that he recognized Melchizedek as a priest who ranked higher spiritually than he. The tithe went to the priest of God Most High. And in verse 22, Abram clearly recognizes and states that God Most High who Melchizedek serves is actually Jehovah. They are one in the same. Because in verse 22, Abram says, Jehovah, God Most High. And he puts that divine name before God Most High. Well, let's look at the king of Sodom. 
what did the king of Sodom do? He focused on earthly rewards. He apparently tried to have some leverage over Abram, which Abram saw through and refused to be beholding to the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom expressed no gratitude at all. We see no evidence of that. And in this, he dishonored Abram. And Abram rejects the offer that was made by the king of Sodom. Abram affirms that he depends only on Jehovah, the one true God, and not on any human kings or plunder or their gifts. He depends only on Jehovah in order to become a great nation. And let's look at the king of Salem. Well, it's very, very important to understand that Melchizedek is both a king and a priest of God Most High. He is a king and priest, and he blessed Abram, and therefore he honored Abram. The king of Salem, Melchizedek, did not ask for anything, and he gave blessing. Very key, very important. Melchizedek brings bread and wine which, of course, is familiar to us as the elements of the Lord's Supper. Before we think about this a little bit more, let's take a moment to look at what the meanings of all these words are. We have the city of Salem, and that's related to the word shalom, and that means peace or contentment or security. And I talked about the shalom of God in episode 57. So that's Salem. The name of the town is Salem, meaning peace or contentment. And in Psalm 76, we learn that Salem is Jerusalem. Psalm 76 says, In Judah, God is known, his name is great in Israel. His tent is in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. So Salem is Jerusalem. And that's actually mentioned also by the Jewish historian Josephus. He said that Salem is Jerusalem. Well, why the name change? Well, Jeru, of Jerusalem, Jeru, the word means a city or a foundation. And Salem, Salim, Shalom, means peace or security. So, Jerusalem means the city of peace or the foundation of security. Now, Melchizedek, his name has a meaning too. And Melchizedek is a compound word. The first part from Melech, meaning king, and Sedek, meaning righteousness. So Melchizedek is the king of righteousness. That's what his name means, the king of righteousness. So just to wrap up this part of it, in Genesis chapter 14, we see Melchizedek, who is the king of righteousness, the king of peace, the king of Jerusalem, demanding nothing of Abram, but blessing Abram and offering bread and wine to the man of the promise. That's all very significant. In just a few verses, we see all of this about Melchizedek and his standing, which leads us to the second mention, which is the prophetic mention of Melchizedek, and that's found in Psalm 110. I'll quote a couple of verses from Psalm 110, the ones that apply, and then we'll see that they are actually quoted in the New Testament writings as well. Psalm 110, Jehovah says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. For Jehovah has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Well, that's the second mention of Melchizedek from Psalm 110. 
And this verse, these verses, make it clear that the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek is eternal, because God has said and has sworn, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So there's an order of priesthood in Melchizedek that actually predates the Levitical priesthood. Unlike the priesthood of the Levites, which was intended to be temporary because the Mosaic law was actually temporary, unlike that priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, which was only in force under the Mosaic law, Melchizedek's priesthood, the order of his priesthood, lasts forever. It's eternal. And the scripture says here in the Psalms, that Jehovah made an oath, an eternal promise, and he will not change his mind. This verse is a reference to Jesus, the Messiah, as we'll see in the third mention in the scriptures in the book of Hebrews. And this I call the covenantal reference to Melchizedek. As I read through these parts of Hebrews, note that the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 110 several times starting in chapter 5, and I'll do some extensive reading here because it's very important that we see what the scriptures say. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Every priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent the men in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Every priest is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant or are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of other people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was called. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So that's in chapter 5, the first few verses. And we see that every priest doesn't take upon himself that role. It's got to be a calling by God. And Jesus is called by God, according to this promise, to be a priest forever. Then in Hebrews 6, starting in verse 19 and then flowing into chapter 7, we read more about Melchizedek and how he relates to the new covenant and to the Messiah starting in verse 19 of Hebrews 6. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, which is the Holy of Holies. Verse 20, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now we go into chapter 7. This Melchizedek, this is chapter 7, verse 1, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. And then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great Melchizedek was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires, this is verse 5, the law requires, the Mosaic law requires that the descendants of Levi, who become priests, 
to collect a tenth from the people, that is from their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, Melchizedek, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, that is, the Levites collect a tenth. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid a tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was in a sense still in the body of his ancestor. Now here comes something very important. Verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of the law it was given to the people, why was there a need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron? For, verse 12, when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord, Jesus, descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Clearly, Jesus is from the line of Judah. He's not from the line of Levi, and yet he's a priest. Verse 15, And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation, which is the Mosaic law, is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced, by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he, Jesus, became a priest with an oath when God said to him, Jehovah has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And that is the new covenant, right? Verse 23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. And therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for men. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day by day, first for his sins and then for the sins of the people. Jesus sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath, which came after the law, appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Now, I know that's a long stretch of Scripture there, but it's really, really important. It's necessary for us to understand Melchizedek and his place. Who was he? Why do we read about him? And why is he mentioned again in the book of Hebrews? There is this priesthood, the order of Melchizedek, which is not of the Levitical line. 
It's not a priesthood that's appointed by the law, by the Mosaic law. It predates the Mosaic law. And it is an order of priesthood that's eternal because God has promised it. And God declared by oath that the Messiah himself would take this place of the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And it's because of the oath that Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant. If you read through the book of Hebrews, look for the word better. (laughs) The writer of the book of Hebrews, and of course he's writing to Hebrews, makes the point constantly that the Mosaic law had its place, it had its purpose, but now it's past, and now we have something better, the new covenant. And we see that Jesus lives forever, and he has a permanent priesthood. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3 says that Melchizedek was without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Of course, there is a question whether the author of Hebrews means this actually or figuratively. And if the description here in Hebrews is literal, then it's hard to see how it could be properly applied to anyone other than Jesus Christ. And yet I believe it is figurative. I don't believe that Melchizedek, I don't see any evidence in the scripture that Melchizedek was the pre-incarnate Christ, though some people would say that. That's not explicitly stated in the scriptures. If this description of Melchizedek is figurative, then these details of having no genealogy, no beginning or ending, and a ceaseless ministry are statements that accentuate this mysterious nature of the person who met Abraham. And if this is figurative, the fact that we don't know a lot about Melchizedek is on purpose. It's purposeful, and it better helps us to understand Christ and his role in the new covenant. Jesus takes part in a greater priesthood than Aaron. The priesthood of the Levites was full of idolatry and abuse. It didn't last forever. But the priesthood of Melchizedek is eternal. It lasts no matter what happens. The Bible highlights, especially here, the importance of Jesus' role as the high priest. Now, we don't often discuss this priestly role in modern churches because most of us don't really have a familiarity with priests, as opposed to kings or even shepherds other titles that are given to Jesus. But Jesus' role as a priest is a huge part of the biblical story. And like those priests under the Old Covenant, Jesus mediates for us. He completed the ultimate sacrifice to atone for our sins. Now, of course, in Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, there are priests. And I believe that there's a mixing of the Old Covenant and the New, uh, which is not helpful at all for New Covenant believers. There is a priestly class under the New Covenant, and that is everybody who is a follower of Jesus. Christ himself is the high priest, and we are called a priesthood of believers. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is in the priesthood, the New Covenant priesthood. That's why I really don't like the division between clergy and laity. Uh, David Pawson was talking about this once, and, and after the talk, someone came up to him and said, it sounds like you're trying to destroy the clergy. And he said, no, I'm trying to destroy the laity. <laughs> we should all be in full-time Christian ministry. We should all be helping people come to God, mediating 
between God and human beings, those that are outside of the covenant. So they can step in and they can have direct access to the Father. The Levites, they were appointed by the law. Jesus was appointed by God's oath. The Levites are no longer needed. The temple doesn't exist. But Jesus introduced a new covenant where the temple is not a physical place. The people of God are the living temple of God. The Mosaic law did not bring perfection. Sacrifices had to be made all the time, both for the sins of the people and also for the sins of the priests. But this is not so under this order of Melchizedek. Jesus has the eternal priesthood, and he made the offering once for all. He didn't have to offer any sacrifice for his sins. He had no sins. And he offered the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the people. Every year they had to lay their hands on a scapegoat under the old covenant, speak their sins on the head of this goat and send them out in the wilderness to carry the sins of the people away every year. But now we're not under that law. Now that is no longer necessary because Jesus himself is the high priest who paid the perfect price. He made the perfect sacrifice. What have we learned about Melchizedek? When I look at the Old Testament story of him coming out to meet Abram after the battle, the thing that stands out is that he required nothing of Abram. He came out and he offered to Abram bread and wine, an offering of refreshment, and then he blessed Abram. He was a priest and a king. So I say amen, and I thank God for Melchizedek and his faithfulness. He knew God Most High before the giving of the law, before Abram's name was changed to Abraham. Melchizedek could see the work of God Most High there in Abram. I pray that all of us will take Melchizedek as an example. People who don't demand things, people who are a source of blessing, that we speak blessing to people when we see God at work. We keep our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our prayers focused on Jehovah, God Most High. And as priests in the New Covenant, we submit ourselves to our High Priest, Jesus the Messiah, who has done it all and has made a way for us to enter into the Holy of Holies with Him. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.